This is the, the Youth, the down, youth south down South Podcast. The Youth Down South Podcast, a show for youth leaders and young adults. Well, hey there, listeners. This is Jesse Fagerstrom. And I'm Caleb Loudon. And Caleb, I loved your last episode. Oh, Jesse. I mean, when I say I loved it, I, I loved it. Wow. I thought it was excellent. And you know what? I There were a lot of takeaways, and I really enjoyed um, listening to you and to Ashley. Mm. Uh, that was lots of fun. I loved. I love that Ashley's Ashley got great. another another go on the on the podcast. But hey, we're having part two today. Can you give us a sense of maybe what are some of the things that you're going to focus on today? You know, Jesse, I so enjoyed that last podcast. Yeah. And afterwards, though, I thought, man, there's just still so much you can say about what was what's perhaps I think it's actually pretty clear to say the most important book ever written. I mean, basically. I mean, basically. exactly. Uh, and so I just thought, hey, let's take another stab at this thing <laughs> because I probably made some mistakes along the way uh, on the other one and uh, oh. said some things that were maybe a little heretical. Oh, no. yikes. <laughs> okay, no, yikes no, no. I did, I did not. I did not. <laughs> no. But don't. I just felt like, man, you know, just one, even an hour-long episode was not enough to cover right. all that we could say about the book. And I'm not saying we even are going to get to do that today. Sure. But, like... There's still so much more to talk about, to talk about, you know, just different genres in the Bible Mm. and to talk about how we apply the Bible to our lives Mm -hmm. and just lots of, you know, important lessons I think will be helpful, hopefully, to the listener. Yep. And uh, at least will be an opportunity for me to talk about one of the things I love the very most in life, which is the Bible. I love that, Caleb. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's let's go unpack. Let's go unpack it. Let's do it. Here's another episode on the Bible. All right, Caleb, I got a riddle for you. Okay. What is happening January 13 through 16, but is not for children and it's not for adults? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, uh, wait, is it um, Territorial Young Adult Conference? Hey, you got it, sir! <laughs> wow! Wow! Do so, I get like a prize or something? <laughs> ding, 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 ding! Your prize is oh. that you get to come to no the way. Territorial Young really? Adult Conference. <laughs> it is taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, this next year of 2023, and we are so excited. We got some great speakers lined up, some great breakouts. You'll get some great opportunities to bond with your division, and we're just so excited, Caleb. So people need to head on over to our website at youthdownsouth.org and register right away. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to TYAC. Gotta go pack your bag. I gotta go pack. All right. The Young Adult Conference will take place in Atlanta, Georgia from January 13th through 16th. Registration goes live in October, so head to youthdownsouth.org for more information. All right, Caleb, you ready for this? Oh, boy, am I ever ready for this. Wow. All right, Caleb, can you kick us off with some of your best little Hebrew tidbits? Oh, a little Ivrit for you? Know, a little, little Hebrew? Some, some to little, start us off, uh, get us kind of theological. You wanna, okay, you want to learn how to count in Hebrew? You have, Love it. Uh, Let's do it. Teach uh, me. Achad, shnei, shalosh, arba, chamesh, sheish, sheva. Wow. Shmone, teish. It's a lot of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you got to you gotta involve the, the guttural sound there. <laughs> 
Yeah, this is great. This is great listening, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so there's a few numbers for okay, you. You know, nice. you are, you know, you um, maybe. So the Lord's name, we we will say Adonai instead of Yahweh out of respect. Okay. When reading Hebrew, or oh, um, yes. All right. Because, uh, like, you, have you ever seen um, some Jewish writers? I mean, many uh, Orthodox Jews in particular today. Mm. Well, even when they spell God, put a dash in between the G and the D out of respect for the divine name. Wow. Whereas we Christians, like we write songs where we just... God. Well, even (laughs) Yahweh, we were, you know, blurted out. But Right. uh, Within Judaism, you don't use that name unless you're in a religious setting. Well, you hear, you heard it here first, folks. You got a yeah. little bit of extra knowledge there yeah. in your back pocket. Well, so yeah, you know, Caleb, where are you going to take us today? Where where are we going today? Well, so you know, I thought as we get into this part two of the Bible, we might just start by highlighting a recent event where the Bible was like front and center mm. through the whole thing. And I am, of course, talking to you, royal watchers, about. The funeral of Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. God save the Queen. Now I, I don't think you were able to catch it, which is oh, fine. I know. And I'm sharing this not as an endorsement of monarchy. I don't know what your whoever you might have your own opinions out there about whatever. Not getting into that. But <laughs> <laughs> but what I did what I did think was really interesting about it. I did get to watch it. I got up. A little early to see about a five. little early. Yeah, it was like five fifteen in the morning, okay. which is kind of par for the course. Yeah, that's for fine. you and for me, sure. probably. Yeah, you getting up around five each for day. For parentals, yeah. For the pre- <laughs> parental parental watch. So, so sad as you say that, and I get it. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so had it on, and man, what an epic display of pageantry and symbol it was, wow. which I love. I nerd out on this stuff mm-hmm. as someone who's like. You know, studied ministry in graduate school and all that. I just love like the symbolism and the ritual of it all. And uh, the way the whole thing kicked off was with this procession from where she was um, laying in state, lying in state. I don't know the terminology. Sure. Um, and that from Westminster Hall, and they uh, took her from there, her body, uh, to Westminster Abbey. And there are all these soldiers involved. You got the Royal Navy. The Royal Pipers with their bagpipes. I think the, that's yeah, that's a great. <laughs> I don't know how ever an impression that is, but uh, <laughs> and then uh, the Royal Air Force, and then you know the guys with the furry hats, those guys, um, and <laughs> they were all uh, you know on their way to Westminster Abbey, and the bagpipes are playing this like intense, just like sound, <laughs> just okay, uh, you know, that's that's really. Uh, thank you so much, and. So you have I'm that. I'm providing a soundscape. Well, I think it says what I'm trying to say, actually, in that it was this kind of intimidating sound at some level, you know, a little ter- like that was terrifying for me. <laughs> um, and the drums are beating, and there is this huge number of people, and the bells are tolling around the city of London. And then they get to Westminster Abbey, and it's then silent. You can hear the organ doing this kind of dramatic, like almost fan of the opera sort of thing inside the, the church. Ooh. But then that also stills, and then uh, the pallbearers come, they uh, get the queen's casket, and then walk it over to the entrance of Westminster Abbey. Okay. And so in my mind, I'm thinking about all the buildup to this moment when Mm. we finally get to this place where they're going to 
have the funeral for the queen after almost two weeks of events, international events, and all this you know, mourning and this huge um, outpouring of affection that we saw all around the world. You know, in London, they had this viewing and people were in line for miles. Wow. Some people waited 24 hours Wow. in line to be able to pay their respects to the queen. So with all that is kind of build up and preamble to this moment, you then wonder, okay, well, what's the first thing that's going to happen at this funeral? What, how do they, after all of that build up, what's the first note that's heard in this yeah. kind of, uh, you know, event, this in, in a very important event for uh, the, com- the British Commonwealth, for the United Kingdom, et cetera. And what is it that is the first thing that's heard and that, that, that breaks the silence there at that first moment? Can I guess? Yeah. Does it rhyme with Schmeibel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> it is the Bible. It wow. is the Bible, and it's from John 11. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that mm. believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Mm. And watching that, it did, one, remind me of just the continued influence of the Bible, right? Although on one level you think, well, the queen is the figurehead of the Church of England, defender of the faith, like she's as Anglican as Anglican can be. Right. So obviously she's going to have an Anglican Christian funeral. Yeah. But still, on another level I thought the queen was in, is in the same situation that all of us are in. Yeah. Because no one, even to this day, has a really great solution for this problem we all face, that we will all someday die. Here we are already mm-hmm. getting really morbid, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I apologize to our <laughs> listeners for already, uh, you know, this may be somewhat depressing already. But there is good news. <laughs> there is good news because while we all face this problem, we also all then have the opportunity to embrace this solution mm-hmm. that you find in this a verse from John 11, um, not one of us has figured out how to overcome death, but as the queen enters the abbey, the words that the Church of England, that her faith community decide to put very first at the very front of this you know, historic event, the most watched thing in television history, four billion people wow. watch this. The very first thing that is said is, the words of Jesus, I am the mm, resurrection and I the life. Uh, and so that brings us, of course, as you already said, to the Bible. Rhymes with Bible, <laughs> <laughs> Because the Bible gives us this language to describe life after death, life mm. after death in Jesus. Right. Uh, and in some sense, we believe that language because it is in the Bible, because as we said last time, the Bible is this God-breathed book, the only God-breathed book. Um, and so God's very life is infused in the Bible, uh, as uh, theologian Tom Odin says. And so we, we gravitate toward that language because of it just being in the Bible. Mm. Um, but also because uh, in the life of Jesus and in uh, his work, his resurrection, his ascension, of course his death, I don't want to miss that either, uh, we find this beautiful, transcendent, 
ultimate, you might say, truth that there is life uh, after death. Mm. And that was what we saw affirmed at the very beginning of this most watched television event in human history. So cool. Yeah. So the Bible. The Bible. Uh, we continue to see it have this incredible influence um, in the world today. So I just want to kind of unpack some more of that influence, uh, how we are influenced by it, how we might engage with the Bible. I do want to clarify uh, a couple things I said in the last podcast, because sometimes I don't say things as clearly as I might like. Sure. Um, so um, I think I actually just kind of from the top address a one point of clarification. So I said something in the last part that I immediately knew would need some explanation. I'd said that the words of the Bible are dead on the page, meaning that the, you know, the Bible's printed on paper just like any other book. It's binding is right. just like any other book's binding. Um, and that also said what's remarkable is that the Holy Spirit works through the Bible to communicate something to us and to, in fact, save us. Right. Um, but then I also said later that the Bible is God-breathed, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed or all Scripture is inspired. And so I just want to begin by kind of holding those two elements together. They, both those statements were made at different points in the podcast, but I think it is important to have them together. The Bible isn't like other religious objects um, where, you know, in other religions you might have what you call magic where mm. you have some sort of object that people use to do something mm. that they want to happen, mm -hmm. like to protect them from spirits or to get some sort of health benefit or to just have, um, you know, bring, bring you nothing but positive vibes, you know. All have the some, positive vibes. We need all the good vibes that we can all get. All the good vibes, dude. Yeah, so you have objects in other religions that are kind of made to do that. But this isn't the Bible. It's not something that we use to get what we want from life, but rather the Bible is something God uses to get what He wants in our lives, namely us, right. uh, to um, be able to know us and for us to know Him. And um, while I doubt that people listening to this would be attempting to perform magic with their Bible, maybe they're in their bedroom, you know, waving their Bible around saying, Wingardium Leviosa, <laughs> for all my Harry Potter fans out there, you know, stupefy. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. Um but uh, so I, 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 I still, I doubt that, that that's going on. But still, I, I think there are ways in which we sometimes think of the Bible in a kind of magical way. Sure. Meaning sure. like, because I carry my Bible around, mm. I'm, you know, the person I need to be. Yeah. And at least people get to see me carry my Bible around. You know, like mm. that kind of, or uh, I've got a Bible in my room. I never read it, but it's there. Right. And it's like how hotel rooms have Bibles in, yeah. their, in their side drawer. You yeah, know? and it's just kind of like it can, it's this tendency for the Bible just to become one more object mm. uh, that is there and, and there only when we really want it or need it. Sure. Like, you know, we, enter, we have some sort of difficult challenge in our lives, and so we turn to a verse that's going to bring us some comfort. Sure. And so in that way, you can see how that's kind of a, a more kind of magical use of the Bible. Like we're not engaging with it regularly. We're right. not wanting to read it as it reads us and mm -hmm. as the Holy Spirit uses it to make us more like Jesus as we're in this continual relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But instead we're turning it to it for its kind of symbolic value or to, yeah, use it to try to manipulate our situation right. or our, our emotions, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
the Bible is like I've been saying something different. It's it's not about uh, our having a tool that we can use uh, when um, the going gets tough, but it's something that God has given us as a gracious gift uh, that uh, He uses to do work in and through us. Uh, and so I, I wanted to just clarify what I was meaning by that first statement about the Bible and its you know, being a book like other books. It isn't like other books. It is God-breathed, but we want to avoid the tendency to think of it as just a kind of symbol or object. Mm. But we want to instead be in relationship with God, and as part of our relationship with Him, we want to be engaged in uh, this God-breathed book. If somebody did want to engage with the Bible, then, you know, then how would you go about doing that? That's a great question. And there are a number of different ways to read the Bible, to study it, to receive from it. Um, one really basic way uh, that I think is the most common in everyday uh, Christian living is just reading it for the Holy Spirit then to speak through the words of the Bible to us uh, in a personal, intimate, individual way, right? Yeah. You know, you are uh, in your particular season of life, and there's always some sort of circumstance that we're in that um, we are attuned to and that the Lord is, um, you know, using in what particular way to form us, what have you. And so we come to the Bible for God's voice to be heard through it so that we have some idea of how God is leading us to live into that particular season or moment, you know. So certainly... Uh, one primary way that we engage with the Bible is at a personal, intimate level. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means that the words of the Bible can communicate something to us that uh, was not necessarily the complete uh, intended meaning of the text when written. Um, and that's okay. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Now, that said, whatever we hear in the Bible is still going to conform to the rest of the Bible's teaching. Right. Um, so if your particular uh, time with the Lord leads to some sort of uh, heretical yes. <laughs> outcome, right. then it may not be the voice of the Lord you're, you're hearing there, you know? Yeah. Uh, it most certainly isn't. Um, so we test what we hear, we test what we receive, um, and uh, then affirm what God does give us. But the Bible, um, as this, this God-breathed text, and a text then that the living God uses to form and shape us can speak to us in personal and intimate ways in our reading of it. I think one example of that is like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is a verse that we see all over the place. And, you know, now when we hear that verse cited, uh, and most of the times I've heard it um, referenced, people don't go into the the bigger context of that chapter where uh, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to these uh, exiles who've been taken mm-hmm. to Babylon mm-hmm. uh, and, in fact, says to them, hunker down, you know, build houses, get comfortable, because you're going to be there for a while before you're coming back here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a terrifying, yeah. difficult, hard message to receive, right? Right. Uh, and to, to say to your people... You've been exiled, and that's not changing for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we don't often hear that context of the passage read with the this um, very popular verse 
of Jeremiah 29, 11. And you know what? At one le- at some at a, a certain level, that's okay mm. because God does have plans for us, right? right? right. Um, and He has plans to prosper us uh, and uh, to give us a hope and future. Um, and so that that conforms to uh, the hope we have in Christ and God's um, provision in our lives, in our lives, His continual work in our lives, His knowing what is ahead. Um, but it, it's not entirely what's being said in that in the original context of that passage because you know, we don't often, you know, refer to that passage in uh, difficult context, right? It can just be a kind of general thing we say to make this point about God's having a plan for us, which is true. And so in that way, yeah, that passage can speak to us in its own, that the verse in its own right in an intimate, personal way. Now, when we go to uh, a different way of engaging the Scripture, we do want to be really mindful of the context of the uh, original meaning and do some homework to arrive at what that is. And mm-hmm. that would be when we go to preach or teach the Bible. And so while we can receive uh, through the words of the Bible from the Holy Spirit something personal to us in our quiet time and our devotional time, and then still test that against what the, the Bible as a whole conveys, when we go to then say something publicly to say, here is the Word of God for the people of God, we want to do what we can to arrive at the uh, full context of a passage, at the original meaning of that passage, um, to avoid uh, what some have labeled proof texting, where you just kind of read uh, a passage and you know, using the language of it, make it say whatever seems most right to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have a lot of tools that help us do that. We you know we have people who've studied this at a deeper level, have studied. The Bible and its original language have studied the history surrounding uh, the Bible. Have read uh, other ancient texts uh, that were written around the time of the Bible, and they these people, these scholars, have produced lots of tools like Bible dictionaries or commentaries or um, so many uh, of these scholarly things that are available to teachers and preachers of the Bible, so that we can uh, be. Um, you know, as accurate in our teaching of it as we um, can be. Mm-hmm. And so that's another sort of level of engagement with the Bible uh, where you, you might say this is now um, reading the Bible in community, mm-hmm. right? And uh, then I would say that another sort of uh, way to engage with the Bible is to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Uh, and this is something that we find uh, happening, of course, in the New Testament where the early church is in light of Jesus and his life and all the events of his life and his resurrection and them knowing him now as Lord and Savior, um, they go back to the Old Testament and begin to see texts in a new light mm-hmm. uh, in some cases. So one uh, prominent example of this is Psalm 110, which Jesus himself reads uh, in reference to who he is. And so that, that passage um, begins with, this really interesting declaration in verse 1. Here is the Lord's proclamation to my Lord. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the early church really focuses in on this first part of verse 1. My Lord said to my Lord, or the Lord rather said to my Lord, sit down at my right hand. This is cited by Jesus, as I said, but it's also cited by um, Peter in his first sermon there in Acts. Um, And then I think uh, you also find it in Hebrews. 
And uh, what's interesting about that passage is you have the Lord, meaning God, saying to my Lord. Now, the the superscript of the passage, the kind of like little um, background bit that we often have with the uh, psalm, says it's a psalm of David. So it's in the voice of David, who is the king, right? There's not uh, someone in within uh, the kingdom higher than David at this point. Right. And yet he says, the Lord says to my Lord. Well, who is God speaking to hmm. if not David? Who's David's Lord? Right. Right? Huh. The Lord says to my Lord. Well, the early church picks up on this and says, hey, he's David's talking about Jesus. Mm. He is my Lord. Interesting. And God is saying to Jesus, sit at my right hand. And then you have these events occur in uh, the Gospels and Acts where Jesus ascends into heaven right. and we say is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right. Uh, and so uh, here you have yet another way that the church is engaged with the Bible, and that is to uh, read the Bible through the Gospel uh, and to see how uh, throughout um, the Old Testament, there are these connections to Jesus yeah. that show us, that point us to um, Jesus and who he is. Uh, and so that's another way that uh, we can engage with the word. Hmm. Um, and there are many, many others, you know, endless number of methods for studying the Bible. Um, but those are three that uh, I think are um, pretty prominent and interesting to me. So I realize people may still be wondering, okay, well, how practically do I get started? Well, one way you can read the Bible devotionally at a deeper level is to practice what is often called Lectio Divina or a divine reading. And really the essence of that approach is to simply read a text slowly and to uh, just be thinking about where you tend to kind of slow down as you read the text? Are there phrases that really start to are standing out to you, words that are catching your attention, that you're drawn to? And then to hover on those phrases and those words and to read them uh, over and over again, to kind of repeat them in your mind or even out loud, mm. uh, and then to begin to receive from the Lord what He might be saying as you read through that text slowly mm. to you. And so that's one way to kind of just practically get into the text to have this slow method of reading. You might do this with a psalm, like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, and just read through that uh, slowly uh, mm-hmm. to the point of it maybe even being a little uncomfortable to read that slowly, but the point being that you are really savoring the text. You're really uh, reflecting on it and meditating upon it and allowing the Spirit to speak to you in a world where we're often not you know, doing anything slowly. Right. Uh, and we actually do need to slow down and to think um, deeply on what the Bible is saying to us. Then uh, certainly resources are really helpful too. Uh, you know, reaching for a, st- a study, a Bible study that can help you make your way through a book or through a particular topic. Uh, on the Bible app, there's so many reading plans that can be really helpful for uh, navigating through a whole book or uh, a topic. I'd also highlight one of my favorite websites to go to for resources, which is called seedbed.com. Mm. And they have uh, these Bible studies that are for uh, particular books. So if you wanted to, you know, wade into a book like Romans, which can be a challenging read, right? 
um, this is a, a great resource for people like that who want to take on uh, a book or, uh, you know, get deeper into a particular text. Um, and then, uh, you know, another resource that I would recommend for understanding the background of the Bible uh, is called uh, the InterVarsity Press's um, background commentary. So they have two background commentaries, uh, one on the Old Testament, one on the New Testament. And what these commentaries do is they just give you the historical context you need to better understand a passage. So you're not necessarily getting from them an interpretation of the passage, like here's what this means theologically, and then here, here's how to apply it to your life. Mm. But you are getting, you know, here here's why uh, when Jesus uh, refers to lamps, here's what we know about lamps in the ancient Near East in the first century that makes us mm. better understand this passage and how lamps are placed on a lampstand and how what Jesus is saying makes perfect sense for that particular time. Or, you know, this is like a small yeah. example. Yeah. It gives you all the background. So those those books are really uh, helpful to me, and I go back to them all the time. Uh, and then I'd also say that, uh, you know, the certain topical studies are really great. So um, one book that covers the whole Old Testament and is really readable and uh, just a really great read is called The Epic of Eden by okay. um, Sandra Richter, who's a professor of the Old Testament. And if you want to better understand the Old Testament, this is a book that I would definitely uh, say that people should turn to to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just so many resources out there. And I know that that's part of the problem too, is just knowing where to even start. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so I hope that that helps people kind of have a, a place to, to turn to and to start, given that there is so much information out there. And more than there just being information, um, there's also a diversity of viewpoints, right? Yeah. I think by having those resources, not only are you going to get new understanding of how to read the Word, but you're also going to avoid some of those pitfalls of understanding it wrong or or misunderstanding what the Bible is saying, because I think it's that community aspect of reading it within community. Um, you're getting different mm. viewpoints that are backed up by by scholarly data, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that's very useful for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. And there are, you know, so many viewpoints out there. One thing that I meant to say last episode that comes from the Handbook of Doctrine um, that I didn't get a chance to say is that while, you know, there are other sacred writings out there even or, you know, uh, different, you know, lots of books that uh, convey different viewpoints, different worldviews. And some of those things can be helpful in just um, learning about other cultures, how they operate, or uh, just, you know, learning different things. The Handbook of Doctrine still says uh, that the Bible uh, contains the record of God's mission in the world and the nature and scope of the salvation made available in Christ. So only the Bible does that. The um, Handbook of Doctrine says the Bible stands alone. Uh, and so while, yeah, there's a lot out there that we can read, and some of it can be very helpful and insightful, at the end of the day, we still affirm the Bible as this singular book, right. uh, different from all others, um, and that the saving truth in the Bible cannot be reduced or revised to conform even to other popular ideas or attitudes or whatever current worldviews are really trending. Um, we want to be conforming our views to those of the, the Bible. 
And we want to conform our views because, as we said in our last episode, uh, and here we'll come to a close, the Bible conveys to us the message of God's salvation for all people, Mm -hmm. right? It's in the Bible we find this powerful uh, reality that we, though we have all of us sinned, all of us rejected God, all of us have this uh, this deep propensity towards evil. <laughs> right, sure, sure. Uh, there is still yet another way, uh, and we can be saved, we can be forgiven, uh, and then we can be transformed mm. and, in fact, made to be like Jesus, to have the very mind that is in Jesus. Mm. Um, and so uh, as we come to a close, I wanted to once again go back to uh, Samuel Logan Bringle like we did in our last episode. I want to do that in part because this is actually a passage I meant to read last time <laughs> and then kind of fumbled <laughs> over it. Like my eyes were like, where, 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 where is it? And then I ended up reading it. And then it worked great. Like sure. I was like, wow, that's a good passage too. <laughs> um, but uh, this is actually the kind of paragraph that uh, when people think about Bringle's experience of holiness, this is where they actually are uh, gonna. This is where they're actually gonna go in their minds. Uh, is what he says here. Uh, I'll, I'll read it just to again say that the Bible is God breathed. We uh, submit to the authority of the Bible as something God has given us. Um, but it, we also submit to it because not to, not because God is trying to just lord over us but because it is in the Bible that we find this way of his saving us and rescuing us uh, and making us filled with his Holy Spirit, filled with his love, uh, immersed in joy. Like these are all the things promised uh, in the pages of the Bible and uh, and one of those promises also being made holy, Mm -hmm. made holy. Uh, to be God's love for others, mm-hmm. and Bringle speaks so well to that experience. So uh, here is um, Bringle writing about his holiness experience. He writes, On January 9th, 1885, at about 9 o'clock in the morning, God sanctified my soul. I was in my own room at the time, but in a few minutes I went out and met a man and told him what God had done for me. God blessed that word mightily to others, but I think he blessed it most to myself. That confession put me on record. It cut the bridges down behind me. Three worlds were now looking at me as one who professed that God had given him a clean heart. I could not go back now. I had to go forward. God saw that I meant to be true till death. So two mornings after that, just as I got out of bed and was reading one of the words of Jesus, he gave me such a blessing as I had never dreamed a man could have this side of heaven. It was a heaven of love that came into my heart. I walked out over Boston Common before breakfast, weeping for joy and praising God. Oh, how I loved. In that hour, I knew Jesus, and I loved him till it seemed my heart would break with love. I loved the sparrows. I loved the dogs. I loved the horses. I loved the little urchins on the streets. I loved the strangers who hurried past me. I loved the heathen. I loved the whole world. Do you want to know what holiness is? It is pure love. Do you want to know what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is? It is not a mere sentiment. It is not a happy sensation that passes away in a night. It is a baptism of love that brings every thought into the captivity of the Lord Jesus. 
And so they, again, yet Bringle so beautifully capturing this experience of God, this experience that is on offer to us uh, in and through the message of the Bible. And so we uh, acknowledge the authority of the Bible because it is in the authority of the Bible that we also acknowledge uh, this this word that transforms us, uh, that fills us with Christ's perfect love. Uh, and um, what could be better than that? That's it for this episode of the Youth Down South podcast. For more info about the show, check out youthdownsouth.org.